Hear now God's word. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. It may be uh, not a surprise to you that wherever we go and wherever we interact with other people, it's all, there are always norms and rules about interaction and social uh, courtesies and what's the proper way to do things, and especially what is the proper way to speak. Prayer, which is a, a basic element of our Christian lives, prayer is speaking. And it's speaking to God. And so we might well ask ourselves, what is the best way or what is the correct way to speak to God? How should we address Him? How should we interact with God? What should we be saying to Him? Is it, is it okay however we talk to Him? Um, and the good news is, yes, there is a way. And God makes it clear to us. But not knowing how to speak to someone is a very awkward situation. Several years ago, I was anticipating being out of work and needing a job. And a friend of mine very graciously got me a job interview with a very large megachurch in the South. And I had an appointment to meet uh, to discuss this job position that was opening at this particular church. And it was 7 o'clock in the morning, and I walked into this conference room and saw not one, but seven committee members sitting around a table. I was nervous to begin with. And soon I figured out the names were given, and I tried to remember everybody's name. And then I figured out who the chairman was and tried to gather my thoughts together and tried to, uh, to get myself straight. But the committee chairman looked kind of uh, irritated, and he said something that got under my skin. 
and I kind of stared at him, and he glared back at me, and things just went downhill from there. (laughs) It wasn't long before they ushered me out of the room, and soon after, one of the committee members called me up on my cell phone and not surprisingly told me that they had decided against calling me for this position. Well, if you enter into God's presence, you want to know how you should be speaking to Him. And that's what this message is about. And the good news is that we as Christians can please God with the way we pray. Jesus Himself gave us principles about prayer. And in this passage, we find three principles which will guide us so that our prayer can be pleasing to God. The, uh, the first prayer, uh, the first guideline, is to avoid praying the wrong way. Let's stick with the first one. Um, okay. Avoid praying the wrong way. And uh, if you were here a month ago or so, you might remember that I preached on this already, but this is a review. Uh, it's on the exam, so please keep in mind. There are, there are important ways that we are not to pray. One is we're not to pray with the wrong motivation. In verses 5 and 6 of the passage, Jesus tells the, uh, his listeners, his disciples and others, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. This is prayer that is self-centered, self-focused. It's not prayer for God's glory. It's prayer for one's own glory. It's a desire to exalt oneself, to be held up, to be considered a great holy man, to to have status in the society by being somebody who is very spiritual. And uh, we might think that this kind of thing doesn't exactly exist like this today. But I find it interesting that on a regular basis, Christian celebrities seem to, fall, to crash and burn. And I have to ask myself the question, what were they seeking? What was their motivation? And it seems like a, a minefield if you actually end up becoming either a famous singer or a famous author or a famous speaker or anything of the above, as if Somewhere down the road, there's going to be a time when the truth is going to come out. What were you doing this for? Was it for God's glory, really? Or was it for one's own glory? And so the first uh, guideline that, God, God, that Jesus gives us to avoid praying the wrong way, we start with, well, wrong motivation. Be sure of your motivation. Secondly, ignorance of God. Next, Jesus says to them, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that you need what you need before you ask Him. Ignorance of God leads to people having the concept that God is pretty much like any other busy CEO who sits in some celestial office with lots of business to take care of, and he's busy answering the phones, and you must ring many times to get through to him. And you must chant, and maybe you have to say certain words to get through to him. 
you may remember the story uh, back in the Old Testament in the days of Elijah the prophet when Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal to a showdown on Mount Carmel. And there they were going to offer a sacrifice. They were going to pray to, ba the prophets of Baal would pray to their idol, to Baal, and they would seek that Baal would send down fire on the offering. And then Elijah would ask the God of Israel to send down fire, and we'll see who wins this battle of the prophets, the battle of the gods on Mount Carmel. And so the prophets of Baal in this sort of hysterical and uh, maniacal uh, performance are dancing around the sacrifices and cutting themselves and screaming and chanting and going on by the hour, begging Baal to send fire. Elijah, on the other hand, just dumps it, water all over it and sends up a prayer to God and God sends fire immediately. Ignorance of God leads people to pray to God as if he were like any other person who just needed to be badgered until he actually does something. And this is not honoring to God, not surprisingly. Another problem with prayer is that we want to avoid is the prayer is the unforgiving spirit. At the end of this passage, Jesus, after giving the Lord's Prayer, which we will look at, he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's important to recognize that when we come to God in prayer, one of the things we're going to see is that we come to Him and we ask Him for forgiveness. But we have to be forgiving people as well. Jesus told that famous parable about the unforgiving servant who for sake of time, I'll just summarize as saying the unforgiving servant owed the king about $20 billion and he was forgiven all of it. And when he went out, he found his buddy who owed him, let's say, 20 bucks and he wouldn't forgive him. He grabbed him and threw him in prison. And the Lord tells us that the king was, was enraged with that unforgiving servant and threw him in prison. God will not forgive when we do not forgive. Those who have been forgiven, forgive others. So our prayer will please God if we avoid praying the wrong way. That is, praying with the wrong motivation, or praying with ignorance of God, or praying with an unforgiving spirit. Let it not be said of us that any of these things characterize our prayer. Second guideline. God is pleased with our prayer if we use the Lord's Prayer as Jesus intended. We need to use the Lord's Prayer as Jesus intended. The passage in the center of this text that I have this morning uh, starts in verse 9. Pray then like this. Now, it may not be surprising to you that the whole concept of praying the Lord's Prayer has been controversial historically. And there have been those who have said that this prayer should be prayed every time we get together. We should pray this prayer word for word, just like it is. In fact, Calvin in Geneva and his church regularly prayed the Lord's Prayer, just as it is given in Scripture. Presbyterians have tended to do this down to this day. Every Lord's Day, we're going to do the Lord's Prayer. 
But then there were the nonconformist Puritans like John Owens who said, you know, this is getting too much like vain repetition. It sounds more like what Jesus was condemning, the empty words of the Gentiles. People just repeat and just quote it like as if it were a, a magic formula for getting what God wants. It sounds a little bit like the prophets of Baal who are chanting and repeating. And so there's been this controversy over the years. I would like to suggest that the Lord's Prayer, as Jesus intended it, is certainly to be used as a pattern for prayer, always. Jesus said, pray then like this. It's certainly a pattern for prayer that I think we want to incorporate. Many of us know the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. This prayer includes three of those. The only one that uh, I don't see here is Thanksgiving. But there are many other examples of prayer in Scripture. This is one, and this is the one that Jesus gave, and he said specifically, pray like this. But that doesn't mean that's the only way we can pray. Uh, there are other examples of prayer. For example, uh, look at the saints in the Old Testament. Abraham prayed, Moses prayed, David prayed. Other prophets prayed. Nehemiah has a great prayer. Daniel prayed. And in the New Testament, Paul gives us examples of prayer. And Jesus also has other examples of his prayer. So I think we can, we can conclude that we should use the Lord's Prayer as Jesus intended and use it as a pattern always. It's a good measure of our prayer and any prayer that we make to God. Secondly, I would submit to you that we should use it as a prayer often. In other words, not simply as if it were something to be said without thought, but something that we review so that we actually know it, so that it's on our, fresh on our minds at all times. I think it's a good prayer to pray, and I think we should repeat it at least from time to time. Now, whether it's what, how often is often, that's a matter of discussion. How frequently is frequent? How occasional is occasionally? Um, that's for us to decide. But we don't want it to get to be a mantra. We don't want the Lord's Prayer to be something that we just recite mindlessly as if it were just something that we just run through in a hurry. I'll never forget uh, when... Mary and I were missionaries in Argentina. We had Bible studies in our home with students, most of whom had Roman Catholic backgrounds. And one evening we were studying this passage, and most of the students had never even really studied the Bible, hardly ever seen a Bible. And we were reading through this passage where Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer, and one of the students was shocked and delighted. He said, Jesus gave us this prayer. Oh, Jesus said this. I didn't know Jesus said this. He'd been quoting the Lord's Prayer since he was a little bitty kid, but he never knew that it was Jesus who gave the, gave the prayer. And so we don't want it to be like something we just quote mindlessly in a really quick, fast way. I... Uh, have wondered from time to time, and you'll understand the deviousness of my mind. 
I've wondered what I would pray if I were in a plane crash. I mean, what, what if you had just a, a few seconds and you knew you were coming down? Uh, and you know what? I've concluded that the Lord's Prayer would be a great prayer to pray if, you know, I were in a plane crash. Uh, you, can, you can quote it in about 30 seconds, which could be enough time. So I commend this prayer to you. If, God forbid, you are ever in a plane crash, you might stand up in the middle of the aisle and call everybody to attention and then lead them in the Lord's Prayer. So, anyway, that's free. Our prayer will please God if we use the Lord's Prayer as Jesus intended. Third guideline. Our prayer will please God if we study the pattern of the prayer that Jesus gave us, the pattern of this Lord's Prayer. Um, the pattern, the, the prayer itself is really simple, uh, and it has three parts, and we'll be a little bit analytical here. First part is the preface. These three, these four words in your English Standard Version, our Father in heaven, or as it sounds much more eloquently in the King James, our Father which art in heaven. Uh, there have been jokes about that, but preface. Think about these words just a moment. First of all, we address him as Father, our Father, our Father. Stop and think about what Jesus came to do. In John chapter 1, in the Gospel of John, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only God who is at the Father's right hand, He has made Him known. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. The incarnate Word of God. Jesus came to make the Father known to us. What a great thing. We knew God as Creator in Old Testament times somewhat distantly, usually referred only more to, to His creative abilities than His creative work, but not so much as our Father. But Jesus came, and John says in chapter 1 again, He came to His own. And his own people did not receive him, but to all who received him, who believed in his name. He gave power to become the children of God. Jesus came to make the Father known, but also to make us the children of the Father. By grace, through faith alone, through what Christ would do on the cross on our behalf. We could not be his children were it not for Jesus. Secondly, our Father. Our Father. Second person, I mean first person, plural. We. We say this. Our Father. In other words, He is my Father, but not just my Father. He's your Father. He's our Father. 
together we are his children. If we have the same father, what does that make us? Brothers and sisters, does it not? That's a serious thing. We haven't gotten into the prayer yet, but we're starting right here. When God, Jesus gave us this prayer, he intended for us to address the Father and to do this together. Not that we can't do it alone, but certainly we can do it together. And so when we pray, we think of the fact that our Father has other children. They're his too. And they're ours too. We, are, we belong to each other. We belong to each other. In a very real sense, we are, we are a spiritual family sitting here, just like many other groups of people sitting out around in various auditoriums throughout the valley and around the world. But we say, our Father, and we should think about what that means. And we ought to look at one another and say, you're my brother, you're my sister. And how can I not love you? And how can I not pray for you? How, how can we not pray together? We come to him together as his children. Third, he's our father in heaven. It's important to think about these two things at the same time. Because on one side, there is this very personal and intimate contact with God. Our father. He's received us. We become his. We belong to him. And we know him through Jesus. But he's in heaven. In other words, he's not limited to in any way. He is the eternal God. He is infinite. He is unchangeable. And as the prophet Isaiah wrote, and I love this as one of those texts you go to, when you think about the fact that God is high and lifted up, but also here with us. In Isaiah 57, 15, he says this, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, but also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. I dwell in the high and holy place, says God, and also with him or her who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. And why? To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I know Many of you, maybe all of you, need to be revived. You need God to touch us. We need God to touch us, to revive our hearts as we bow before him, to revive our spirits as we bear the burdens and difficulties and trials of life. And he is our father in heaven. So that is our preface now we move to petitions, and there are easy to, they're easy to identify. There are six of them, and you could drop them into two groups. First, there are those first petitions, the first three that are God-focused petitions. Hallowed be 
thy name. It says, the first thing that we ask of God is not first for our own needs, but first we ask that his name would be revered, held up, honored, and held in high esteem everywhere, that his name would be hallowed. It is a sad commentary on our society that the name of God is mentioned so frequently and rarely is it hallowed. The name of God is taken in vain on a regular basis and with great arrogance and pride. But let his name be hallowed, we pray. And then we pray, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. God is our king. He is our ruler. And we live in this world. We have been given this space in this time, in this moment in history in which we live in a fallen world with kingdoms that are failing, with leaders who are failures, and with systems which do not work. And we long for the kingdom to come. Years ago, a missionary friend of mine asked a young uh, fellow from Latin America, he said, in, in a country where government was always in turmoil, and they were trying to figure out what's the best kind of government. And my missionary friend asked this man, what do you think would be the best kind of government to have? And he quickly responded, a benevolent dictatorship. A benevolent dictatorship. Yes, that sounds great if there were one. If there were one. And there is. But it's not this kingdom. It's not any kingdom that you've ever seen. It's the kingdom of God. And when he comes, he will put things right. He will bring justice. And he will bring order. And he will be glorified. And his people will be re resurrected to newness of life in a new heavens and a new earth. When his kingdom comes, it's the kingdom we long for. It doesn't mean we ignore this world. Tonight we'll hear about the importance of investing our efforts in this world to bring people to Christ so that they will be in that world when that day comes. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. God's will has not been done in the sense of obedience to him since the fall, since the garden, when God said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they ate, and we ate, and we all sinned. And so his will in the sense of what he wants us and prescribes for us to do, what's often called his prescriptive will, is not being done, but it will be done. We pray that it will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a glorious day that will be. So here we have the first three petitions, and they are God-focused, and then we go to personal petitions. And it's interesting what's included. Give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread. Is it okay to pray for... Just dinky things like bread? Yeah. You know, our Heavenly Father is the one who supplies everything that we have. 
And I would suspect that very few of us here have passed many days hungry. Um, Most of us have enjoyed affluence. We've enjoyed plenty. And that's great. But we can become complacent. We can become presumptuous. We can assume that there will always be food on the shelves in the grocery store. And that we'll always have money in our pockets to buy it. And that we could look at our freezers and our cupboards and our pantries and they're full of stuff to eat and I just can't decide what to eat next. Give us this day our daily bread. But we are taught, we are told to give thanks to God for what he gives us and to ask him for the things that we need and resist the tendency to become presumptuous. As if it were necessary, we read in Paul's letter to the Uh, to Timothy, he said, having food and raiment, having food and clothing, let us be content. We ought to develop contentment. That is the first personal petition. Then there's the petition, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Maybe you don't think about that request as often, and maybe I don't think about that request as often as we should. You know, we are his children. He's our father. He's holy. He's perfect. He calls us to be like him, but we still sin every day. And every day we need bread and every day we need forgiveness. And he tells us to confess, to ask forgiveness for our debts, for our sins. At the same time, we make a commitment to forgive our debtors. We let go of all of that which we could hold against them. Those who have hurt us, those who have neglected us, those who have have, uh, gossiped about us, those who may have attacked us, we forgive them for we are seeking God's forgiveness. And finally, we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why would we pray, lead us not into temptation? Does God lead us into temptation? Well, actually, he does not. But God, the Spirit, sent Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he sent him into a situation in which Jesus would show his power over Satan because a temptation is also a test. A test can turn into a temptation, but if we fail, but if we pass it, it becomes a victory. Jesus had victory over over Satan, and we are called to have victory over him as well. So we pray, Lord, do not lead us into temptation. Let it be a test that we pass and deliver us from evil, or as some translations have it, the evil one. For all evil is centered in him. This is, these are our petitions. The God-focused ones, and the personal ones. You are welcome. God is honored. When you bring him pray, petitions for his glory and petitions even for our basic needs. Now there is a, doc, a closing doxology which our ESV or English Standard Version of the Bible doesn't have in the main text. 
I believe it's in the footnote. Uh, but in the some of the old manuscripts include this saying, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This prayer, and if that is part of the prayer, certainly it brings us back to worship. It starts with our Father who is in heaven, and it ends by confessing that all things are His. It is, the kingdom is His. The power is His. The glory is His. And we want it to be so. We want it to be so forever. And so I suggest that when we pray, we include that phrase. And if it's not in the original manuscripts, well, I think God will be okay with it since it is not unbiblical. So our prayer will please God if we study this pattern of prayer that Jesus gave to us. Are you concerned that your prayer please God? Are you concerned that when you come into prayer, you don't just spend some time chanting or wishing for something or mindlessly trying to get through it, but that you actually enter into the presence of your Father who is in heaven, who welcomes you, who receives you, and who is glorified when you pray for things that glorify Him and when you pray for even the basic things that you need. I'm going to ask us to pray now, and will you join me in praying this prayer? I believe you'll see it on the screen if you can read it. Let's pray it thoughtfully and slowly together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.